opportunities that I've been really lucky to have been given, like with with Iggy or or, or with Anna, with Swerve Driver, with all of the different people that I played with, though they kind of come along rarely. And and sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't. You know, I've had other big things that I've I've tried to do that haven't worked out. Being ready for it is is important and feeling like when you go into that situation, making yourself feel at home. You know, like make, making that making it a comfort zone for you. And then I think that started from me when I started going to try out for bands when I was a teenager. Hiya and welcome to another episode of Tapping the Flow, this time episode 15 I believe we're at. Um, That was the voice of bass player Ben Ellis, that is some sage advice he's giving you there. A man of much experience, Ben is an incredible bass player, I'm just going to lay it out there. He is a, if you ever watch him, you'll be transfixed by the way he's resting that beast of a bass and getting some phenomenal tones out of it and I think this is what's led him to become the bass player for the likes of Iggy Pop. You know, and uh, Mark Almond, um, amongst others, you know, he just brings the stage to light and he's such a lovely fella to hang out with as well. So you can imagine being on the road with him and Iggy Pop would be a great laugh. Uh, he also does sound for the likes of Anna Calvi and has been on the road with her and she's phenomenal as well. And what a lovely image, the two of them going around Europe together, doing some gigs and stuff. So this is just a lovely free-flowing chat. And, and the interesting part about this one is that I ask people to play songs at the end of the podcast and I asked Ben and he sort of said like he wasn't sure he was going to do something or how he'd do it and then he sent me a song that he was singing over the top now he's not done this before ever and because I asked him on the podcast he went for and met the challenge but I didn't realize that he'd sent me the song last minute until we got off the end of the podcast so what happens is we finished the podcast. I then realized he sent me the song and I'm like, oh, wow. And I listened to it and it was brilliant. And then I, I called him back and I said, hey, can we get back on and talk about this moment? So we get back on and we talk about the moment. Um, so <laughs> you'll realize as we get through this, that there's a point when it sort of stops and then the song comes in. And, and it's lovely to think that this is inspiring people like Ben to really take the plunge and, and write his own songs and sing. And I hope he does more because it's a wonderful thing to hear. Uh, amazing bass line and a beautiful melody and lovely lyrical sensibility. So I'm going to stop talking now because I'm very excited about this one. I've just been editing it. It's a lovely chat and a great laugh. I'm going to play you a song that Ben sent me to include in the podcast. It's a song called You're Not God, which was recorded for the Peaky Blinders soundtrack with Anna Calvi.
Oh, there you are. You're human. You're alive. <laughs> How are you? Really I'm, nice to reconnect with you like this. That's good. I'm good, it? man. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. Excellent. <laughs> I wanted to yeah. ask you actually, man, because I know you're you're living in London. You've been living in London a long time. You're you're from Glasgow, right? Before you were in the band Seraphin, like that was obviously that was the first band you were in, I guess, of note. Um, before that, how long were you playing the bass? From what age did you start? Um, I my, my musical upbringing was pretty strong. My old man was a piano player, so he was like an accompanist, and um, in the uh, he was quite o old. I mean, he was fifty when I was born. So he kind of grew up in the th in the thirties and forties and fifties, and um, he played in music halls with people, uh, and that's where I got my sort of musical anything from. Um, but I started playing the violin when I was five. My parents were really keen for me to play a musical instrument, and I think my mum just liked the idea of violin, so they bought me one of those and sent me to like, a violin teacher, which was cool. Um, but then when I got to that sort of age where you start thinking about trying to be cool, <laughs> like um, I, I, did, I decided I wanted to play the guitar, and then my parents went out and bought me a classical guitar, which mm. wasn't the kind of guitar that I wanted to play at all. I wanted to play... Um, funny you mentioned Mark Knopfler, because like, Dash Drakes, when I was growing up, like, I know it's incredibly uncool to say that you love them. but I, Not they, with I was, me, man. So, I love Dash Drakes. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, I, I was such a big fan of them. And I remember him on Top of the Pops when I was a kid playing a, a red and white Stratocaster. Mm -hmm. And I, that's really what I wanted. And then so eventually I saved up and bought a guitar. And then I quite enjoyed playing the Strat caster that was quite good fun but then um i uh i think i got my first bass when i was maybe 13 or 12 or 13 maybe 11 12 something like that and it was um it was like this sort of last one in the shop it was a yellow sparkly uh honer something or other mm -hmm. like a sort of crap precision bass copy yeah. but it was so ugly but i remember um so i used to sit and play along to cassette tapes like um, I'd play along to like Susie and the Banshees and like uh, U2, Unforgettable Fire. That was a particular favourite. Uh, In Excess, Kick was one of the records I was listening to when I was really young, you know, like before I'd even kind of gone to high school and discovered rock and roll and yeah. interest in music. And that was really like when I started thinking, oh, this is the instrument I want to play. So I think I was probably like maybe 11 or 12 or something like that when I sort of started playing the bass at home. And then... Um, when I started getting into bands in high school, uh, the at that point the bass seemed to be the instrument that was given to the person who had the the least musical ability. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was like the you know the four string instrument that you know no one really wanted to play, but I really did want to play it. And then and then I sort of realised as well that if you kind of got good at playing it or reasonably good at playing it uh, you'd always have a gig because there weren't there didn't seem to be that many bass players around in mm. my teens and then at, at that age uh, I started going I, I grew up in a little town just outside of Glasgow um called Helensburg I moved to Glasgow when I was about 17 uh, but in my teens, I used to go into around the different music shops in Glasgow and I mean this was before people met on the internet and mm. they had notice boards and all of them just saying, oh, such and such a band needs a bass player. And I used to, like, every week or every other week when I'd go up to Glasgow, take down all the numbers and then go home and, and phone people on the house phone at a time, which wasn't even, like, we didn't even have mobile phones then, and, um, and ask if I could come and try out for bands. And I'd go, and it was almost like a sort of 
sport of going into audition for all these different bands and and then if i thought the bands were any good i'd stay and play for them for a little while and i ended up i mean you probably did a similar thing with music just playing lots of different kinds of music i mean some of it terrible some of it great and and meeting lots of different people and and because you just get thrown into that situation where you need to do it you end up like you know learning stuff about reggae music like Mm. about hip-hop about about loads of different things so it's a really great thing i think for a young musician to to do is just like try everything like try as much stuff as you can and and that's mm. how you kind of find out what you love but that was my sort of musical growing up before i was in proper bands really it's amazing man because your story is so parallel to mine like when i was a young man uh i also picked up the violin when i was seven and had a violin teacher in school did you uh he turned right. he turned into more of a, more of a violence teacher or he called me a, he called me a, f- a fucking idiot at one point because i was bowing behind the bridge <laughs> but i used to i used to right. i used to i used to play in a football team man and then i'd be playing football and then i'd put my violin clothes on and run off to the orchestra and pretend to play because like there were so many other people playing i was like yeah i'm doing this man and uh, it, was, it was cool, like, but I couldn't, I couldn't, I like, I failed at music. I wasn't good at music, but I loved the violin. And then I, 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 uh, I picked up a guitar when I was about 11, bought like a, yeah. a BC Rich guitar and uh, I had a Satan distortion pedal and a Sound City amplifier. And I used to play along to Iron Maiden Live After Death uh, all the time. Oh, I had a tablet for that and I'd stand in front of the mirror and play along with that. Do you know what I mean? That sounds like a good night out at the moment. <laughs> And, and and then and yeah. then when I was I got into Steve Vai man and I started playing Steve Vai stuff so I bought a Steve Vai guitar well it was it was gifted to me and it was a bright yellow uh, ugly <laughs> sin guitar was, you know so we're all right was up it to one this of the ones we're quite similar with, with the carrying handle that, in it did yeah. it have the it Did had it the have handle the little handle? Side, so oh, the, hold it up in amazing. the sky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah right, right, right. Amazing. <laughs> they, I think they're but, quite but, sort of but, sought so, after things now. Yeah. Oh, they are, yeah, yeah. I think some people just don't like the guitar, so they buy them. Um, <laughs> they're amazing yeah. to play, man. They're sort of so easy to play. It's like they play themselves. But like, what happened to me was I got really into heavy metal, you know, and so I, I rather than going into different yeah. forms of music, I went straight down this road and got heavier and heavier till there was no other heavier place to get than headbanging the wall, you know. So, and 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 but until yeah, a point yeah. when I uh, discovered the acoustic guitar and, and the need to write songs, and I think that that's we, we diversified at that point our paths, but. I was also a fan of Mark Knopfler. Yeah. I love Dire Straits. Uh, Alchemy Live, that album is amazing. Telegraph Road, what a song, you know, from a song like yeah. Perspective. <laughs> yeah. I always loved, um, I mean, I didn't really realise when I first, I just thought they were cool. Like he wore a headband and that on top of the pops and I thought that was pretty cool. And I remember the video, I think the first time I heard them is they played like Walk of Life on top of the pops. I remember the video of yeah. it was like a lot of American football players running into one another. Yeah. Uh, and, and it just seemed very sort of like a world, an exotic world that I, did, I didn't know at that time. Like growing up in the west of Scotland, I had no idea what American football was, but it just all sort of seemed very cool. But later on, what I realised I really liked about him as a guitarist was he has a real way of making the instrument speak and 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 making it really sort of say something and um and i've i I never really got into sort of heavy metal i I got a lot more into kind of really dirty rock and roll and and punk rock um because i was never really uh, much of a technician as an uh, as an instrumentalist like i didn't really like that sort of playing what i liked was people that, that um 
were able to make the instrument say something and quite often in quite a sort of crude kind of a way. So I was always like subconsciously, even at a young age, interested in the noise people made with the instrument or the feeling they created with it more than the sort of technical stuff that, that they did with it. And I found that his guitar playing, like whenever you hear him play anything, it's really lyrical, you know, the way he says stuff with the instrument, mm-hmm. which I love. Mm-hmm. Mm, there, there's, there. Well, there's no wasted notes with Mark Knopfler. Not one note is wasted. Right. He gets as much emotion as he can from each one. But I've, I've been termed a fret wanker in the past because, like, obviously the Steve Vai and Satriani stuff, mostly they're wasted notes. You know, it's like an exercise. But Mark Knopfler now, to this day, is my biggest influence on the guitar, and probably Hendrix. Like, I think Hendrix right, didn't waste any notes either. You know, but I, I, I love Knopfler yeah. for the sort of supportive stuff under the singing, and I can do that when I play. But I love to lose my rag as well, and and distort the hell out of things, yeah. you know. And, and I know for yourself, like, yeah. you, the way you hold the bass, I don't know where you got that way of playing your instrument, but you're performing with that instrument, but you're, like, you're bonded with that thing. Like, where did that come from? I don't, um, I don't really know. I, I, I never, like, the way... I, re, it's interesting. Recently, I've been kind of asking myself those kind of questions about the way I play technically mm. um, since uh, the lockdown happened. But the way I developed as a player, it, I think it just came from wanting to make a big, loud noise, <laughs> really, um, yeah. and and have a sort of dynamic impact as a bass player initially. I, I was always interested in in bass players that made a, a, a big sound. Like I, I always loved John Entwistle from The Who, uh, Jean-Jacques Burnell, uh, those kind of players. Um, so I, I think that's kind of where my technique came from. But what I, I realised recently, because uh, I've been doing a lot of recording, hmm. and before that, I mean, obviously I've been in the recording studio and I've made albums with people and, and whatnot over the years, but I've always kind of, felt that I was primarily a live player and a lot of that as well as being about the notes you choose to play and uh, uh, and what you do musically it's about Mm. how you perform you Mm. know and how you move around on the stage and and that you're something interesting for Mm. for people to engage with but quite often when you focus on that side of your playing you're not really focusing that hard on the noise that you're making and what i realized i mean i've been doing loads of recording in the last year because that's the sort of outlet we've had Mm. is that um a lot of those big sounds that you make that sounds really impressive on on a big stage when you have a, a loud amplifier behind you don't really translate particularly well to recording because you just can't capture the dynamic range like when you leather the guitar with your hand if you hit it or if you bang it off a mic stand or something like that it just sounds like a mess Mm. (laughs) so that that's been quite interesting for me that people have always kind of said that about my playing oh it's really exciting to watch and listen to you play and you do stuff with the bass that other people don't do but i've almost kind of been recently trying to go back to basics and um and be a better technical player. Not that I ever sort of want to be like Steve Vai or, or um, like yeah. Mark King or any of these kinds of players. It's not really something that interests me. But I definitely want to be able to play the the ideas I have my head in my head in a, in a way that's cleaner 
and that you can hear clearer. So that's, yeah. been, that's kind of been interesting me quite a lot recently. Yeah, I, I have this image of you now in my head. It's like you're a preacher standing on a clifftop who's, who's dragged the devil and is diving down <laughs> to the pit of hell and then emerging with the devil transformed into an angel. That's what you look like when you're playing the bass, man. But it's like, but let's put it in perspective because you're not playing the bass with just your fingers. You're playing the bass with your whole soul and your body and stuff, man. And that, obviously, in a live scenario is incredible, man. It's like, that's what you want. You don't want the guy, like, nimbly picking away there. But you're right. When you go into a studio, yeah. things get out of control. But we should be careful. I'm Not to put you off, man, but we need to try to also keep that part of ourselves alive because music is becoming a little bit too clean. Yeah. And, you know, that sort of thing. So... How you do that now is the battle because I have the same problem, man. I'm idiosyncratic as a player. Like if a set, if I get called into a session to play guitar with someone, I'm probably not going to have the best timing in the world. I'll have notes to jump out, but when when I get it right, yeah. nobody can copy that because that's my style, man. And and I, so I don't do that much studio stuff. I like the challenge of being good mm -hmm. at it though, and I think that's what you're responding to is like you're like, hmm, okay, I can yeah. do this, and let's see how I do it. Yeah. yeah. I I think with with those um, idiosyncratic elements to your playing, I don't think you, you. I mean, I certainly I'm not an accurate enough player to ever lose that. I, so so, but I, and I think thinking like that was me just being a bit lazy. <laughs> to be yeah, honest, yeah. I was kind of thinking, oh, I I don't want to become like a really technical soulless player. But I don't think I ever will. I think um, it's just another way of growing it. And the first thing for me was kind of getting over that fear of of just doing a bit of hard work. And and when you sort of mm. start doing it, it's amazing seeing that progress happen. You know, over a period of time, and and you're playing and improve that's i've got a lot of joy out of that and over the last few months definitely it's been fun to do yeah right do, do you do that trick with the metronome like i was taught this trick when i was learning to be a better session player where you have a metronome play for like i don't know like eight bars 16 bars and then you silence the metronome for another 16 bars and have it oh. come back in again and you're perfectly in time with it when it comes back in I'm never perfectly in time with it when it comes back in, but yeah, I do do it. Uh, the, the other thing that a mate of mine was talking to me about recently um, was slowing the metronome right down to like 20 BPM and then playing uh, all the subdivisions. Oh so sub dividing it by two, dividing it by three, by four, by six, by seven, by eight, by nine. That's quite humbling. The first time you do that, it's probably... Uh, uh, not a good idea to do it when you're feeling a bit crap about yourself but it's really mad what that brings out and like you know when you're you just that feeling of like it's like stepping into the dark you just you you've no idea where the subdivision is but it's kind of funny that once you kind of get into it you do sort of start to to learn it makes you learn about where you put notes in mm. relation to where the where the beat is which is mm -hmm. super important for a bass player because the kick drum lands here do you want to be pushing ahead of it or behind it or mm. and you do all that stuff instinctively but i think being able to manipulate that is um is interesting and from a technical point of view obviously but also because it changes the mood of a song if you if you suddenly get to the chorus of a, a song and you start driving ahead of the drums and, and, and pushing the song, it, it changes, the whole thing starts to feel more urgent and more exciting. And, and those tiny like milliseconds make a, a big difference uh, in there. That's That's been interesting me a lot recently, kind of trying to get my head around that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, uh, I guess also it's like, we like the idea of live takes, so therefore we do have to try and be malleable in that scenario to for the greater yeah. good, which is the 
performance of an idea. Yeah. You know. And and I think also as a bass player, you're generally there as a supporting musician. What you want to do is play whatever you're playing so that the singer or, or, or whoever, you know, can deliver the best performance that they can. And you're part of the the rhythm section there to you know to lay something down that's easy to sing over and if you're doing things that sort of tend to jump out or, or draw attention away from the vocal or away from whatever the focal point of the track is then to an extent you're not really doing your job properly or as well as you can you know mm. um if that if you're consciously doing that but um I, I, it's a fine line between just playing something that's very flat and dull or playing something that is has a vibe that's i think that's where the the beauty is in all of that like finding that vibe where is the space that you can do something interesting in that enhances what the focal point of the music should be i think yeah i, I mean i i also would suspect that you're probably incapable of doing something dull you know it's not in your nature as a human being really is it I don't know. Yeah, I do fight that, but I don't know if that's just being a, being a bit of a show off. It's not. <laughs> it's. I do. I do seem to have um, a, a lot of things in my personality that are sort of counterintuitive to what most bass players have. <laughs> do you know? So I wonder maybe if I would have been better sticking with the Stratocaster or the violin. <laughs> I know, man. Sometimes. But like, but think about it like yeah. this: like, try to be more like yourself, because then when people yeah. want that sound, you're the guy they call. You know. Uh, yeah exactly and 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 i think um for me the, there's not a lot of joy in hearing session musicians play stuff like um very competent technicians mm. that's not what i ever love about a bit of music i mean you never sort of sit down and go yeah that was really totally adequate i loved it <laughs> you, you know <laughs> that's it, right so, uh, that was yeah. so good i don't even have to correct it with the computer what that's yeah like, right, right right <laughs> and and it, it's funny as well that like, all of those moments in in the songs that you probably love like um the one that i make that jumps out is um that moment in jean genie the the berry version uh where the the bass player goes to the first chorus. I think it's like a bar early, a bar before everyone else. Oh, yeah. And they just leave They just leave it in. And now, if you ever hear anyone playing that song and it doesn't have that mistake in it, it doesn't sound right. So you kind of like those mm. imperfections. You do grow to love them. They're what you love about things, you know? People, music, everything really, I think. Yeah, we embrace them. I mean, I've learned to embrace the yeah. accidents, which is why like, as I, my, my thing is to loop. Like, I like to loop. And like, right. I've got, I have an Ableton set up now with about six loopers and some of them reverse and all this sort of thing. And, right. you know, you, you learn to embrace the accidents, but you also learn to be prepared so that when an accident happens, you're in the best place to make the most of it. It's like, yeah. I, I, I likened yeah. it the other day to like driving a fast car on a racetrack. And, uh, you know, you don't know the limits of a track until you've explored how to crash. But you need to know what to do when you're crashing. You need to know, you need to look cool when you're crashing. So, yeah, <laughs> that's it. Like, you know, and. Yeah. So I, I know you're going to be good at that, yeah. man. I mean, they say tone is in the fingers, right? But it's also in the amps and it's in it's in everything that you do, isn't it? Like, I'm, I'm sure if you pick up a bass guitar, it's going to sound different to somebody else, no matter what you're playing through, whether it be a totally clean sound. Yeah, that that people have always said that, that it always sounds like me. And that that's that's a nice thing. But I've recently i've kind of been because i've always been a finger player coming from uh playing the playing the violin and playing the classical guitar it's mm. always felt like the most natural thing and then and there's this sort of least amount of barriers between your body and the instrument then which feels comfortable for me as well because i'm quite sort of tactile with stuff but uh, i recently went on tour with um with the band razor light oh ah, yeah and we went and did the first couple of rehearsals 
uh, and I played with Fingers and, and I think it was after the first day the singer called me and he was like I, I really love what you're doing but it's not right for the ba- like the sound of this band it's a lot about the bass being played with a pick so in the sort of week that we had I kind of had to learn how to do that like I, I, I mean I played a little bit with a pick before but never like that full on you know and then um, so that was really interesting like making noise like making a, a noise with a pick which didn't which felt really unnatural you know to begin with but that's something I kind of learned to do in the last sort of little while which was really interesting and I think all of that sort of stuff with um with recording it's really because I'm a live sound engineer as well as a bass player it's really um interesting to have a whole different bunch of mics lying around and for me when you're trying to record something you when you're trying to find that thing that you're looking for you don't really know what it is mm. but you just try, like you stick one mic in front of an amp you're like no nah, it's not the right thing and then just try another one and there's a part of you that you just know when it feels right do you know like what the, like must be similar with the thing that you're talking about with loads of different loopers like there's tons of stuff going on sonically but you just suddenly it feels like this is the right spot like you know yeah it it all clicks doesn't it i think at that point like it's an interesting one just going back to what you're talking about with a plectrum so i'm a finger finger style player um i know mark Knopfler plays with his fingers and i think that had a huge influence on me uh john martin with the fingers and stuff like that when i use a plectrum i'm slightly ahead of the beat uh yeah i think it does do that i i agree um and when I listened, like when I was sort of analysing uh, uh, with the razor light material, mm. what is it about this? Because every, um, as a, I mean, I play for a few different people with razor light, with Iggy Pop, with Anna Calvey, with with Mark Ammons. And when you're playing their sort of big songs, you so you need to go to the records and and sort of ask yourself, what is it that's great mm. about the bass on this? Because there's there'll be something that's not you know, the, the way you would play it more often than not. And with the, the Razorlight stuff, all of the time the guy is playing ahead or on top of the beat and playing very simply, but just really really like, like that. Yeah. And for me, I'm naturally playing with fingers. I'm behind. Like I'm always, I, I think it comes from having played in quite a lot of loud bands when, uh, when I was growing up as a musician and always feeling like I've, I'm having to drag the drummer back. Because mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. <laughs> every time you get to a loud bit in the song, the drummer wants to go or the bands want to go yeah. and always being the thing that pulls it back. So to have to be the uh, in that um, role where you are the one who is driving ahead of the beat felt very uncomfortable for me to begin with. Yeah. But it's something I've kind of got used to now. But a pick definitely does that. And there's something about that attack that sounds really great if you're consistently ahead of the beat. Yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. That you're in someone else's that. pocket, though. That's not your pocket. Like, your pocket's somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, that's you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a different pair of jeans. Completely, they're not even jeans. They're chinos. What's going yeah. on there? <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Man, it's like... Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I, I, I know you play with Iggy, and I'm going to get to that, because that's that was a part... Mm. I, I knew you before you started playing with Iggy and stuff, but did you play with yeah. uh, Anna Calvi as well? We, um, I've had a really great, uh, and still have a really great relationship with Anna. We sort of started um, doing stuff together. I I did front of house for her. Um, So we met, um, one of the gigs that I do in London regularly as an engineer is um, uh, Rough Trade East, which is a big sort of record shop Mm. in East London. They have a a big sort of warehousey shop there and and they do a bunch of in-store gigs. So there's me and a couple of other guys who are like the house sound engineers for that. And it's really great. Like you get these amazing 
bands coming in and uh, doing this tiny little gig because it's rough trade. Mm. And Anna came in uh, just with her and her Telecaster and um, she wanted to do a sort of acoustic rendition of a bunch of songs to celebrate the launch of a new album. So I did the sound for that and we kind of got chatting and, and I, I've always been a massive fan of her singing and, and her mm. guitar playing and her music. And then a couple of weeks later, the manager phoned me and said, oh, she's going to do a European tour with a solo thing. Do you want to come on tour and do sound for it? Yeah. So that was really, that was how we kind of got to meet. And then... Um, Obviously, because I play, we talked a lot about music. It was just the two of us. It was like the odd couple going around Europe and <laughs> trains and buses and stuff like that. Yeah. It's great. And um, then she asked me to come and play bass on a, a soundtrack she was doing for the TV show Peaky Blinders. Oh, wow. Cool. So me and her drummer, Alex Thomas, who's a phenomenal musician, went into his studio and did a couple of songs for that. So, um, yeah, we, uh, we'll probably do more stuff, I think, in the future. But that was one of those relationships that came from being the engineer and then ending up playing bass and and that's sort of happened a few times it's it's really interesting how that kind of can develop like you start playing bass and then end up doing sounds and then you you know it's it's been that whole i think when we met i was i wasn't really doing live sound for anyone that sort of all kind of happened by accident but it's been really fun what I realized when I started working as a sound engineer was was how much I didn't know, like how yeah. much there was to learn and how much fun there is when you throw yourself into something completely uh, that you're out of your element. Uh. You don't, you know, you're learning as you go and you're making mistakes and you and the, there's something really great about doing that, you know, and for a musician, it's like picking up an instrument that you don't know and, and you have all of this musical knowledge about what feels right and what but you have to translate that to a completely new thing mm. that's like you know like, uh, like learning to drive with your feet or something like that so so that yeah that that's been really interesting that whole sort of and, and also the made me a much better bass player because you suddenly realize where the bass should fit into mm. the big picture of things and and and, and that, you know it's been great it's been really healthy for me to do that what a lovely discipline. yeah it's it's so as um i think being in a position to do sound you do learn a lot about where your place is you also learn yeah. how to talk to other sound engineers which most people there's a sort of a language barrier between sound engineers and musicians right. a lot of the time right yeah you absolutely know, you have that down yeah. i think we were doing the sound in the in the garage right were you doing the sound in the garage and in, in the hybrid uh, I worked at the same uh, the assembly halls in Islington for a little while, right. and the the O2 there. And now um, I'm head of sound at a venue in East London called the Troxy, which is a uh, big yeah. old sort of yeah, the it's theater, a big old yeah. yeah, it's an old cinema. Uh, it was uh, it's quite got quite an interesting history that place. So that's when I'm not on tour doing playing bass and doing sound for various other people I, I, I sort of do do sound for I've, these guys yeah I've there. been there I saw I think I saw Lamb playing there as far as I remember a few years ago so it's remember. a beautiful old venue it's, it's it's really nice it's a f funny old place it, yeah yeah, it's, it's, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. so like obviously Anna Calvi herself is phenomenally idiosyncratic in everything she does like what, what a force yeah. of nature she is it must be she is. it must have been incredible yeah. watching people's reaction to her when she starts I mean obviously people are aware of her but there's still no matter how you are how much you are aware of her she's still going to shock you you're right absolutely mm. yeah and it was really funny when we did all of those sort of European dates you know we we turn up to venues and I mean sometimes quite big venues for one them small women <laughs> with a guitar to fill with sound yeah. and and quite often when you arrive you know you have those sort of like 
grumpy in-house texts, like, you know, there's some sort of slightly camp Scottish guy and a tiny uh, English, really quietly spoken <laughs> English woman arrive. And then invariably, you know, we'd get everything plugged in and, and sort of like, she would start to make a noise. And invariably within like, a minute of her starting to play and everyone's just stood around with their jaws on yeah. the floor because that's just what she does you know it, it, it was a really great experience to be part of to part of that I think I don't sort of bandy about the term genius very freely but she definitely does something you know she's a genius like she does stuff that, that I've never really seen any other artist do she is just calling from somewhere that only she has access to I think yeah I agree, I agree. and she has a way of sort of um, articulating feelings and the, the stuff that she's trying to say with her voice and the guitar. That that I guess it a bit. I, I listened to was listening to Jeff Buckley mm. a few nights ago, and that really sort of reminded me of some of the stuff that she does. But I think um, with Jeff Buckley, most of the noise he makes is very sweet, and with Anna, like she, it, it's a bit more fierce. It gets a bit fiercer sometimes with her. Uh, but the 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 beauty in like his voice and her voice and, and the guitar playing is definitely there as well. Yeah, I mean, I I think yeah, you're right. She's a little bit more edgy than Jeff Buckley, I think, and and, yeah. and less less palatable in some ways, which is why I, I love to digest it. Was she was yeah. was she ever um, um, doubting herself? Do you think? And going out there and going, this is what I sound like. Oh shit, you know. I don't know. I've never really spoken to her about that. Mm. Really, um, I don't. I never knew her when she started. I guess if you do have any doubts about that, that they probably come at the beginning yeah. of your career. I remember recently she's reissued her first album on vinyl. And she spoke, not to me, she spoke, uh, I read a couple of things that she said about how she felt when she recorded the first, got the first sort of track or two down and how happy and relieved she felt that it sounded the way she imagined Aww. it. So so I guess that is a massive moment for any artist, really. But I, I, I couldn't speak for, for her to... Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, you're obviously uh, moving on to Iggy Pop. There's no lack of confidence with Iggy at all. I mean, he... He is again one of these people that comes from only a place he knows, you know. And uh, that—that that, I mean, tell tell us how that came about. The me doing the gig. Yeah. Um, it was quite a weird uh, set of events. It actually, really strangely, that I met the MD from Iggy's band the day after we finished a tour with Tristan Mackay, uh -huh. which I don't know if you did that gig. In fact, I don't know if it was a tour. But we we did a gig in you might have been there I don't remember um in I, yeah. a hall in Leeds somewhere yeah. it was like did you the do the working that one? man's club in Leeds wasn't it or something working something or other I remember you talking about going to do some sort of like crazy event where there was multiple things happening or I I don't it's yeah not, it's not with a G or, or. it, it maybe because there were a few different guitar players did that gig it may not have been one of the ones you did I can't remember yeah. but the I got a call um when I was doing that to do do this the week after in London to come back and do this sort of really weird art rock thing. Yeah, and yeah. I remember you getting that call. Yeah, I remember you talking about that. Right, yeah. right. And it was a woman called Alex Zapak and um, they she just wanted to do one London show and it was really nuts. Like she had a bunch of different dancers. Uh, there was like a dominatrix on stage with a whip. There was like... <laughs> Uh, so me and the guy who plays drums for Iggy and the guitarist, um, 
got he, they were looking for a bass player and a friend of mine recommended me so i i learned all of alex's songs uh really early in the morning i got up the day after that leeds gig with tristan and got the train back to london mm. and i learned charted all the songs on the train with a um a, a little piano keyboard that I downloaded to my mobile phone wow. <laughs> in an app just to figure out, oh, that's C, that's yeah. E flat, a little, whatever. So I sort of charted it all and then went into the rehearsal. And that was like, I had to get up at like half five in the morning or something and get the train. And then went into the rehearsal with Kevin Armstrong, who's the MD, and Matt Hector, who's the drummer. Yeah. And we all, we got together and we just made we had two days of rehearsal with Alex and these dancers in this basement in Westbourne Park. And um, it was one of those gigs that sort of anything could happen because she just, when she wanted to go off, if she wanted to like extend her verse or jump into the audience and go bananas, mm -hmm. like which she did frequently, you just had to wait <laughs> until she got back on the stage before you went to the chorus or whatever. So it was one of those gigs that you, you, you had no idea what was going to happen. Yeah. And a lot of the songs were very unconventional. There was a lot of noise going on. But Kev recorded it and I think we got it, even with just the two days, we got it sounding really pretty cool you know and, and i remember going on stage at the i can't remember what uh, the purple tartar i think it was in camden this tiny little gig in camden mm -hmm. and alex got carried onto the stage on a crucifix <laughs> wrapped, just wrapped in cling film by these ma two massive guys and then she got up on stage and started dancing just it was just ridiculous like the whole thing you were just looking at one another going what is and she does dressed up as um priests in dog collars and all this Brilliant. Sort of stuff yeah and uh, <laughs> the three dancers and light boxes in the audience and at one point they were hitting audience members with dead fish and like it, it was nuts like it was really nuts but i guess um what kevin the md got from that was if you're going to do a gig like Iggy and you need people that you can depend on to hold it together when it gets really kind of wild, then <laughs> we'd already done that. So it was a good grounding in going on to play with one of the kind of most exciting front men in, in rock and roll. And then, yeah, and Ke after we did that gig, Kev said, oh, I'll give you a shout. We'll do some other things, definitely. And I think it was maybe a year and a half later or something I heard from him. Yeah. And, and he just called and said, oh, are you free on this date? Uh, there's a g quite a big gig you're definitely going to want to do it so try and free the date up and I'll get back to you mm. uh, and then and then when he got back to me he said oh it's Iggy Pop at Wembley oh. Stadium I think oh. supporting the Foo Fighters oh. those were the first God. gigs yeah so a pretty mad phone call to get like I didn't really <laughs> think I thought he was taking the mickey and stuff <laughs> but it, it, yeah ended up and that's and then we've done that now I think this is well we didn't obviously didn't play last year but this would be like the seventh year of doing stuff with him so it's been great it's been really good i i grew up with the, the stooges and yeah. with the idiot and lust for life so to play those songs is it's a big deal for me it's, it's yeah nice. I, i'm just trying to i mean trying to imagine how i'd feel in your shoes but i couldn't i mean it's a you were custom designed for that role and in, in many ways to to bring that to life and to add your dynamic presence to izzy's stage show to iggy's stage show you know but i think like how did you feel like I mean, meeting the guy and like playing the songs. I bet you felt right at home, right? Um, it it was one of those gigs where I didn't have to learn a lot of the songs because I knew them. Uh, and uh, you know, it's funny that when you you start playing for acts that you really love, you know all the <laughs> you've got all the albums, mm. and you and I think maybe it helps because you 
as well as knowing how the song goes, you know how it should feel. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, you, you, when you become a fan of something, you you care a lot about how it sounds and uh, and how it comes across. Yeah. So that definitely helped. Um, meeting him for the first time, uh, it was just completely surreal. It was like, you know, we were, we were all playing in a room. And then he came in and, and we were halfway through. I can't remember what song we were playing. We were halfway through a song and he just ran up and grabbed the mic and started singing. Oh. And at the end of the song, we all kind of looked at one another and we're like, okay, this is going to work. <laughs> this is going to be all right. <laughs> were you like but, all, also though going, is that is that actually him? I'm not sure. Yeah, <laughs> 100%. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was just really sort of nuts. But the fact that he just jumped straight in and started singing made it, there was no awkwardness. Do you know? It wasn't like, hello, I'm Iggy Pop and hi, I'm Bennett. How to introduce yourself by like, Iggy Pop. Just jump in yeah, and start singing, yeah. That was it. And then and then we just started working from that point on. It was kind of like, oh, well, we try this one. What else have you been doing? Oh, let's try this one. And then, wow, that's yeah, we, we, had, we had a week or two of, of just playing around the songs with him. But yeah, that, I, I still, it, it still is a bit surreal when you think about playing bass for Iggy Pop it just seems like it seems nuts you know it it just kind of seems crazy but yeah I'm very lucky to have been given the chance to to play that gig and I just keep trying to bring excitement and you know a big sound and and good vibes the the whole time and and hopefully hopefully we'll get to do it for for many more years that's yeah it's it's interesting to hear you talk about like you already knew the songs i mean you already actually have reserves of what it felt like for the first time in your life to hear those vinyls you know because i i know the first records that got me into music i still can feel the energy from that and i'm sure you were drawing on that like 14 year old energy when you were a kid, yeah, you know. uh, uh, absolutely. My formative memories of listening to the Stooges, I'd, uh, um, I went to music college for a year when I think I was 17. Mm. And I had a mate of the guitarist that I was in the band with at the time gave me this C90 cassette tape. And on one side of it, I can't remember, I think it was like a sort of compilation of uh, the first Stooges album, um, the second one, and Raw Power. Like all of the best songs from those. And then on the other side, there was a mix of like the doors of uh, Hendrix, like a whole bunch of other mm. kind of like rock and roll stuff. And me and my mate, um, Dale, used to drive from Helensburgh, which was the tiny little town we grew up in, to Glasgow to go out, you know, like to go out dancing and stuff like that. And his mini. And we used to listen to the Stooges in that mini, like driving at ridiculous speeds along the yeah. <laughs> along the dual carriageway to get into town. And that was my my first experience of listening to those songs. And they, I mean, they're just amazing. It's a good way to listen to them, I think, going too fast in a tiny car on a tape. <laughs> it sort of like yeah. feels like a good environment to listen to the stages in. Yeah, I, and there's something about that. That's quite like, you obviously were drawing on that, whether you knew it or not when you were playing them. But I wonder if when you Probably, were in the car, you were yeah. thinking to yourself, like, I wonder what it's like to play these songs on a stage. You know. I'd never ever thought about it, yeah. you know, because I d- it just never it just seemed like you know like when you're a kid and you you want to play the guitar. I remember like dancing around my room when I was a little kid with a tennis racket yeah. or a badminton racket or something like that, yeah. pretending to play guitar with like I don't know like Nick Kershaw or something like that, something else. You tear on top of the pops. It it's that level of unattainable those so so to get yeah to years later like if you told me at that point or you know in 20 years they're gonna ask you to play bass <laughs> band i'd just have been like yeah whatever mate no no chance but yeah that 
that year as well, I, I had a really amazing run with playing with Iggy, who was obviously a massive influence in, in loads of ways. Mm-hmm. And then um, one of my favourite, actually, guitar band of us, a band called Swerve Driver, who were one of the creation bands that they signed in the late 90s. And they sort of make this kind of like shoegazy, but also quite grungy, really energetic kind of um, noise. Mm-hmm. And after that first year of playing with Iggy, they got in touch and asked me to go on tour with them, which was, I mean, they're another, like in my top 10 favourite bands ever. So that was a really incredible experience to play their music. And then Anna, obviously, I think w- was the year after that, that she got in touch to, to for me to work with her. So I had three really big kind of dreams come true happen in that period of time, which w- was just nuts like it just you know i couldn't have asked for a a, a more (laughs) it's almost like here's a little dream i have let's and then it all just sort of happened it's incredible man i mean like just trying to put it in perspective in my own mind because like it's i suppose like for you you have to you're often probably asked to tell people how to achieve their dreams and how to how to get to this place where you're at but it doesn't sound like you were looking for these things um and they sort of arrived and you were ready for them it's not like you were going like i'm going to do this someday you know so how do you tell people what what advice do you give to young people because i I would imagine like the advice i would give to young people who want to emulate you in some ways to just be yourself more than anybody else like and just because you're 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 there because you're a because of the way you play the bass the way you emote the thing the way you embody what bass is in in a huge sense but your personality is amazing as well you're a easy guy to get on with as well and i think it's like it's more than just being technically proficient is in fact it's a yeah. lot more than that right yeah maybe i don't i mean i don't know if i'm it's very kind of you to say those things i don't know if I, i'm any of those things but i i am um, i think that um for young people to the the most important thing is to just keep going i I think if if you feel like there's something in you that you want to uh, people to hear then just keep making noise and and keep trying to improve the noise you're making and uh, the one thing i I do say to people is that you will as a musician and you will have experienced this as well go through difficult periods where you don't get the call for the audition you 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 don't even hear about the audition you go for like four tryouts on the bounce and they always choose the other person you that those things happen you get these runs of uh bad luck or whatever you want to call it where things don't go for you and you just have to remember that that is just a cycle that you will go through at times and to keep and keep don't don't let it you know kill your your hope of um of, of being successful at, at what you you do because you there you whatever your qualities are mm. as a person and, and as a musician if you keep working on them and keep sort of trying to improve them and when you do turn up to do a gig try and be all of those things try and be really nice to everyone try and play the right thing you know turn up on time do like all of those kind of stuff they're just kind of a given but if you keep doing that and and you have something to offer then you will end up doing things you know those sort of opportunities that i've been really lucky to have been given like with with iggy or 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 with anna with swerve driver with all of the different people that i played with though they kind of come along 
rarely mm. and and sometimes they work out and sometimes they don't you know i've had other big things that i've I've tried to do that haven't worked mm. out but it's it's all part i think you're right being ready for it is is important and feeling like when you get into that situation making yourself feel at home mm. you know like ma- making that making it a comfort zone for you and then i, I think that started for me when I started going to try out for bands when I was a teenager because it's the same thing you know going it doesn't matter who you're going to audition for you they they want to see what you're really like mm-hmm. so you need to be relaxed enough to be open to uh, you know and be confident enough to let that out uh, you know uh, I, th- I think because when you go on to you're going to spend months and months in the same sort of cramped spaces with people it's important to let that come out but i don't that's probably terrible advice for everyone. i don't know man i think being ready is one thing and, and also you, yeah. you know you say like you're going to find moments when you you don't get the job but absolutely value comes from within as well and i think this is the lesson i try and teach people that you have to value yourself you know yeah. because uh i i can get criticized by people and uh, but it's the criticism that i apply to myself that does the most damage so right you know. yeah and and B, I think that I have a really amazing friend called Sharon Kovacs, who's a, an amazing singer, and um, uh, she does her own sort of music. She lives in Holland, and I was talking about you know recording stuff at home for people, and and her advice, which was great. I mean, she's quite a bit younger than me, but really an incredible talent. Mm. And she said, you just sometimes have to not give a fuck what people think because everyone's going to have an opinion mm. if you like it and i know that's a massive cliche oh i make music for myself and if anyone else likes it it's a bonus type of thing yeah. but there is a lot of um uh it's easy to live in fear a bit about uh, being creative mm. and and you know people like turning up at the studio and, and people not taking you seriously because you you can't play like such and such a musician or, or steve Vai or whoever mm. you know and, and it's important to just not care about that to be who you are and and, and be able be able to be confident I doing agree. that but it's, it's difficult it, yeah, it's, it's difficult it's a difficult one but i know myself man that um i guess i care what people think when i'm trying to sound like somebody else but when, right, when yeah, i sound like myself it. i don't give a fuck <laughs> yeah that's very very powerful that's that's a good thing to hold on to definitely yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that's 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 sort of like my mission now is to i, I don't know I, I i know it works when i don't sound like anybody else and, and i i like that yeah. and it's often quite uh, abrasive but seductive music but it's not coming from somewhere else it's coming from here you know yeah um, i need to listen to it i'd love to hear some of this stuff you're doing with the looper it well you really will man i've been through many yeah. phases like over the last year i think since the coronavirus panic hit uh, pandemic mm. hit i was like okay shit i'm gonna step back and figure out what i am and what i want to do and stuff and then yeah i've been through every phase i've ever been through in the last 20 years in the space of about six months and i've come out the other side of it now and i because i've been talking to people on the podcast i'm very inspired by people's commitment to the cause of who they are you know, mm. people have their own voices and I'm like, okay, I have my own voice. I need to get out of my own way. And now I've embraced that and I listened to it. I rec- We had a meeting of like five or six people who'd been on the, on the podcast on Sunday and we hung out and I embraced it and I managed to go, okay, this is what I want to do. And I listened to that yesterday and I was like, okay, that sounds like me. Yeah, okay, I'm sorted. I don't sound <laughs> like Glenn Hansett there. I don't sound like this person or that person. I only sound like me. So I feel so good about mm. that. And I think you have that characteristic in yourself as well. Which was mm. to jump on to the next thing to talk about, because I know you're doing um, bass and drum sessions with Matt Hector, right? Is that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, how is the rhythm section now? You must be really, really gelled and tight. Yeah, and- I, I think with Matt, uh, he's super conscientious and super hardworking. Like Matt, 
Matt is a big critic of himself and, and he always wants to improve. Mm. So uh, I, I think similarly, this whole sort of lockdown period has been a, 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 has been a, a pretty introspective time for everyone. And I think like the, the process that you're talking about going through is something that me and Matt have gone through individually and, and together as a ry- rhythm section. And we've kind of been trying to make ourselves do things that we're not comfortable in doing. And one of those has been... Matt sitting right back behind the beat and me really driving ahead of the beat and that yeah. like just when we started doing it like we it still sounds a little like <laughs> we send a little school bandy when we're doing it because it's not <laughs> a natural sort of spot to be in but um just doing stuff like that yeah. has really made us both get you know stay excited about the relationship that we we have musically and and it's just great like I've been playing with Matt for like seven years now so when when he goes to go for a fill or when he goes into another section I kind of know what he's going to end with the same, you know, with the two, with the other way around. We sort of have that telepathic thing going on that, that a lot of rhythm sections do. So, I yeah, I love working with Matt. And he, in the lockdown, he built this studio in his garden and uh, we've been doing a bit of recording there. We have a few things planned. We've got uh, making a record with a guy in East London and, and some other bits and bobs. So it's it's good to, to keep challenging yourself yeah. creatively and keep trying to do new things. And also... The interesting thing for us has been playing on a lot of quieter music because we obviously got together on the Eggy gig and then sort of started doing that. And then we played um, uh, bass and drums in this um, really weird, like heavy metal film called Gutterdammerung, which had, we had to play some Slayer songs and some like Metallica songs and like some really like super heavy mm-hmm. music. And then we played. Um, on, on tour with a, a guy called Mike Garson, who was David Bowie's piano player. Yeah. We did one of the Bowie albums with him. And so we've done a lot of different music, but we, and then we did Razor Light together as well. But we, we haven't played that much quiet music together or soulful music or groovy music. Mm. So we're kind of like looking forward to doing a bit of that, which is kind of, uh, you know, a fun place to take us, our sort of vibe as a rhythm section. Yeah. It's, it's cool. Yeah. It, it looks like a really nice um, setup with the, uh, there's a there's a Hampstead amp there, isn't there? And there's a, you've got your Ampeg amps and he's got the Ludwig drum kit. And it looks like a really nice uh, studio from the pictures I've seen. It's a nice place to be, yeah. definitely. It, fe- it feels nice. Matt's got, I think he's got like about 10 drum kits, something ridiculous. Like, right, like of course he has, yes, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. but uh, the Hampstead is, belongs to Eggy's guitarist, Kev. He oh, uses Yeah, I've heard incredible things about them. You know, they're amazing amplifiers. Um, yeah definitely I, I'd, I'd yeah. be definitely if I was looking for a rhythm section I'd be calling you for sure man you're like it'd be amazing to do some stuff you know in the future depending yeah absolutely depending on how yeah. things go I mean what's your yeah. feeling on the pandemic how do you feel you're prepared for the next turns and that um I, I, for me as a musician having the time to really listen to what I'm playing and try and improve it and, and work on the, the sound I make with the bass has been incredibly helpful. Mm. Um, I mean, obviously, it's been a disaster on loads of different levels. A lot of people have lost their lives and uh, mm. no one has been able really to sort of play concerts and, and do all, all the sort of normal things that we take for granted. But from a personal point of view, as a musician, to have that time that you were talking about, to be introspective and to actually really pull apart what you're doing has been incredibly helpful. It's been a bit of a gift for me really and I feel like I, I've improved a lot you know, having that space so in a lot of ways it's been it's been really good because you never get the time 
to focus on stuff and actually let it lie and, and develop things you know I, I, you, for, for me and, and Matt and the other people that I play with we're constantly on the way to the next gig that mm-hmm. is you know that that's kind of what life has been like and if you have any time off you're kind of recovering and then mm-hmm. you're back into the next thing and when you're doing those like really big shows that we do with Iggy, the adrenaline is massive like you know we're playing to like 30 40 50 000 people every night so that isn't really the time to go oh but what if i sort of tried putting my fingers here or what if i <laughs> you know yeah. you, you don't have the chance to do all that sort of stuff so it has been great you know and, and as far as like what's next I, d- I don't know we've had so many instances since the pandemic started of of you know we can't do the gig this month we'll do it in three months and that consistently has been happening so i've I've kind of got to the point with it where uh, you know i'll believe it when it happens when we get to get back to to playing live stuff has just been cancelled so many times how about you have you been doing gigs uh, uh, were you doing gigs before the pandemic um i before the pandemic uh i was doing a lot of recording like i got a publishing deal just before the pandemic and uh I think I get picked as by a publisher because I can produce music. So you'd be doing yeah. stuff for Sync and doing a fair bit of library and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but then the pandemic hit and, and I think I just looked in the mirror and said, oh, how do you want to emerge from this? Because we're going to be given a yeah. period of time here for a reset. Let's think about it. Uh, right. Like yourself, but I've taken to improving myself. I improve and I improve. I became a better singer, a better guitar player. And, and I'm more in touch with the kind of version of myself that I would go and see or the, a person making the music that I would like to buy. So in terms of where I'm at now, I think we're not out of this yet. You know, we're in a, we're in a sort yeah. of a situation where we need to be prepared. OK, so gigs will come back, but I think it's equally likely, likely that they'll fall away again. So I'm yeah. trying to set up a scenario where we can put on gigs uh, in venues in this area, but also mm. be prepared for when the numbers drop and we have to live stream it multi-camera, but in, make sure it's consistent. You know? Yeah, I've got you. We yeah, need to yeah, be adaptable, yeah. really, you know, because otherwise, like, what's going to be left? Just the crap music at the top tier, you know? We, we can't let that happen. We need to be we need to be firming up the gunships for an attack on this industry and supporting it at the same time. It's funny. It's, yes, it's where we're at, man. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah, the stuff with um, visas and Brexit, all that stuff is another, like, absolute nightmare for anyone who works in music it's it's going to be difficult and it, it that's going to define a lot of what we are able to do post-pandemic as well because people are not going to be able to go into tour in europe you know for for six months at a time or or with i mean the problem even if they sort of sort out this agreement so that you can go and do the work somewhere for 90 days out of 180 days if you're a touring technician or a touring session musician then that means for half of your time you can't work in europe and that's the main place we go Mm -hmm. to work so so even if they sort that out which looks like it will get sorted out it's still going to be incredibly difficult and then also all the stuff with the customs problems between countries and a lot of tours only are possible financially because they sell merch on tour and once you start making that more difficult which is it just looks like it's going to be impossible you know it, it affects everything from the ground up so i think there will just be less touring which is going to be tricky because uh, the way 
streaming is and, and other ways of making money from, from music are not great people really depended on being able to get out and play live mm-hmm. and now it looks like that, that you know there's going to be a massive span on those works but I mean it, you've got to sort of stay positive about it or try and feel positive about it because otherwise it feels so like there's a lot of doom and gloom going on I think there. yeah and for every crisis there is opportunity as well you know and uh, right. this is an example of that okay it, uh, I mean what you're describing there is terrifying and it looks like it don't, can only be solved by Scottish independence which is uh <laughs> You know, yeah that's like <laughs> that would probably suit, wish i was born in scotland well. as well man so yeah. if that happens I'm, i'll be all right you know we're but, getting the passport <laughs> but it's um it's a tricky one because i think like i've you know if you think about the amount of shit that's piled, piled up on top of each other each other piece of shit it's a huge pile of shit man that's gonna fall on it someone is. at some point yes and, uh, absolutely and then you gotta yeah. clean up the mess and so and by yes. the time the mess is cleaned up yeah. we get over there and we're just covered in shit so nobody wants to hang out yeah. with us anyway so <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, i think uh, psychologically maybe we're halfway there it's a, it's yeah. it's difficult but i mean the other side of it is does that mean if you can't go to europe to play that you have to play a lot more in the uk is that even a feasible option what is that yeah i guess maybe that's what people will need to do it, it's going to be tough i mean we'll, we'll just need to see over the next few weeks what sort of agreement that the government yeah. manages to uh, but but it seems like they're just not really that interested. And also, I don't think they realise how most musicians and techs, how their lives work, like how they make a living from music. You know, it's if you if you're a politician, a career politician, you have no idea what it's like to mm. to make a living from music, you know, and it, it does feel incredibly unfair because music, you know, it's like it's fickle enough as it is anyway. Like one day you can be playing you know a massive stadium gig and three weeks later you can be playing in a pub like it's not like there's any sort yeah. of um solid base to be on so so to take the you know the opportunities to to be able to tour and, and make money in europe away from musicians feels really nuts you know are you, ang- I, are you angry at it? do you feel happens. angry oh i i sort of oh yeah i'm a bit pissed off but like I, there's not much point in being angry it's happening mm. you know it it's I'm I'm upset th- at how at the amount of lies that were told in order to push it through because I, yeah. I what I wonder when you see something like that is who is actually benefiting from it and it's no one that I know you know <laughs> I don't know yeah. uh, it, it seems just incredibly cynical the way people were, were manipulated it's, to think that it's rooted in something dark and sinister my friend i, I think agree. that you can imagine yeah. like boris johnson in the halls of residence when he was 14 picking up a guitar and going yeah and then someone going put it down you idiot you look like a fool <laughs> it's like i wish ah. i wish they'd made him st- stick with the guitar yeah <laughs> <laughs> it'd be better he'd do less damage it's amazing yeah. isn't it? like they've supported yeah. the fishing industry although terribly as well let's be honest like nothing's getting a good good run of things now is it but it does seem like there's an apathy towards musicians in the in the current strain of government well, strain of government should we call it a strain it's a mutant strain of government it's a mutant <laughs> strain but i think the the reality is that most people who do who make a living from the arts are not tories uh, and so it's not in their interest to really satisfy creative people because the, none of them are voting for the conservatives uh, or it's certainly the case in my circle of friends that i you know i don't know anyone who yeah yeah and, and, and obviously getting into the labor party like this I mean, what's happened? There's no personality there anymore. You know, there's no, there's no opposition. So, yeah, I d- yeah, I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know. I mean, my parents were always sort of quite socialist, and and that would that's my go-to. But I'm I'm pretty ignorant about. Apart from the being annoyed about Brexit, I'm pretty ignorant about. Politics. What about the SNP? How do you feel about them? I like how um, 
Scotland seems to be coming across. I mean, I, don't, I haven't lived there for a long time. Mm. I, I moved to London 2002. But uh, Scotland seems to be like this sort of, it comes across as this sort of much more benevolent sort of socialist progressive nation, which I'm, I'm guess I'm kind of proud of, mm. like really. Um, but I don't see why people don't want it to be like that here. I don't really understand. I mean, the, the, the SNP, the Scottish Parliament have, uh, seem to have to, like they don't have tuition fees. That mm. they 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 seem to want to raise tax to provide better public services and stuff like that. I mean that's all pretty positive stuff. Mm. But I don't know why you know why why is it people in Scotland will vote for that and and in England they they won't. I don't you know I don't really understand. It's, it's a meritocracy why. or something like that, isn't it? it? I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know. But it seems like what is happening in Scotland seems pretty progressive and positive compared to what is happening here. Definitely. Yeah. Yet we're still here. <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah well that's the thing i mean for me i, I would love to g be able to live in glasgow like, i love it like, I, I miss glasgow every time i go back i feel incredibly nostalgic yeah. I, I had some amazing years there but as a, a musician who and i think unless you're lucky enough to to be in one of those bands who has a successful record and then you can go on to build on that like teenage fan club or, or mogwai or you know any of these bands who can live in glasgow and still have a career if you're a session player or you're playing for lots of different people mm. you need to be in london because that's where everyone is it's just it's just difficult to to do that from somewhere that far away mm -hmm. so mm. I, I think i kind of need to be here for that really or it feels like that at the moment but your pa like parents still alive good yeah yeah they are yeah Amazing. oh my mum is my, my dad died a few years ago but yeah she's doing great but yeah. what does she think of you playing with iggy pop she knows who he is hey. <laughs> <laughs> that's the it's the first time that's happened uh, so yeah it's quite she tells people in um uh, and they get excited that you know that what like that kind of thing oh, the man. other day um yeah she sp was speaking to i think she went to see her gp and uh, and i was doing a session with mark Almond. And she told the GP that I was doing that, and the GP had, was a massive soft cell fan. So that was <laughs> that sort of stuff is quite funny. It's nice for your parents when you start playing for some sort of name they recognise. They they sort of think all of that stuff they had to go through when you were sixteen and making a racket in your bedroom and they hated it, it was sort of like this is the payoff. They get to tell their mates that you play with Iggy that's Pop. Brilliant! <laughs> like she's become the mother of your man that plays with Iggy Pop now. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. that's so sweet though. I can see her going into the grocers or whatever the hairdresser saying did you know my boy plays with Iggy Pop and like get away out of that come on seriously yeah yeah <laughs> yeah 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 right, right he does yeah man so, so I, I'm, I know you're going to go and sign some vinyl right with uh, Mark Almond and uh, is it called The Loveless what's that, what's that what, tell me about yeah. that oh it's great we um we all sort of got together a couple of years ago now and um I think Mark wanted to play some rock and roll music so him and his guitarists got in touch with me and Matt and said, do you want to just have a jam and we'll try and play some old kind of like soul songs? And it's mostly like Northern Soul and rock and roll. Like yeah. We play like Alice Cooper and New York Dolls and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, we we just went, we got together one day. We, we habitually did a bunch of gigs around Christmas time, which was when everyone was in London. And last, oh, not last year, but the year before, we did a bunch outside of London as well. And then we recorded, uh, I think it was like six or seven sort of cover versions. They're all songs that, Mark sang when he was a, uh, like a teenager and in right. his early twenties, like Deep Purple and like all, all of this kind of funny seventies heavy rock and soul songs. Yeah. And and we made a little EP. Well, it was a, sort of a mini album they're calling it now. Um, just of us messing around really. And um, 
it went really well. Like it's got some nice reviews, and but it's really sort of scrappy, old school mm-hmm. rock and roll. It's 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 fun. It was mostly just a sort of fun thing. But we'll see. I don't know. We just made. We went into the studio last week and recorded uh, an original song that we hadn't done before and some more cover versions. We'll make another little EP and see how that goes. But it's mostly just a fun thing for for Mark to be able to kind of like sing some songs that he loves and and not have the pressure of being sort of Mark Ammon. You know, it's like this band called The Loveless where he gets to do, just have a laugh really and do it. Yeah, on the website his name isn't really mentioned, you know, so that's pretty cool. Yeah, that was was kind of the way he wanted it. Um, We do, like, we sometimes play some soft sell songs and some of his better known songs, but mostly he he wants, it's a little holiday for him to be able to just have fun and and sing and and for us to play some noisy rock and roll and pretend we're letting our teens again, which is, yeah. Which is quite a good laugh. That's amazing, man. That's amazing. Um, well, I I will let you go and sign your uh, vinyls, man. It's been a real, real, real pleasure to talk to you, man. I have to say, it's been great crack. Hello, I'm back, and we're not done yet. Just to add a bit of context here, as I mentioned at the start, Ben had sent me a song, and now is the point in the time that I just went away and listened to it. I'm like, this is brilliant. It's brilliant, and I've called him back, and he's just been off to sign some vinyl with Mark Almond and the Loveless. And uh, we're back. So before we come back and chat, here is the song. Still 
Hey. Hey. Welcome back. <laughs> hey, how's it going? It's like we didn't go anywhere. Let's be honest. Yay. We're so professional. <laughs> Have you been out in the snow? I went out in the snow, yeah. Well, I went to, yeah, I took my son out and uh, he loves throwing snowballs in my face and I hate having snowballs thrown in my face, so we had a great time. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah, fantastic. I've just been down to um, to Greenwich to sign a bunch of vinyl for uh, the band that I'm doing with Mark Hammond. So that was really nice to see everyone. But it's so funny in these kind of things, you just need to sit around like six feet apart with a mic on. It's uh, pretty weird. Uh, with oh, a mic on, sorry, right. with, a ma- with a mask on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so yeah. was it? Was it like were there people there coming to see uh, just, you to sign things? Uh, no, no, just us. And uh, the well, the vinyl got delivered. I think about a week ago, and the distributor was down. Luckily, it's like ten minutes away from my house, so I just went down yeah. and did that this afternoon. So it was quite, yeah, nice to see them all. Yeah, it must be quite emotional though to to sort of go. Oh, this is the way it's used to be, and now it's not. And what's going on? Yeah, it's weird. Uh, I guess it's just you know, what we need to do. I think always the thing when you're putting on a mask, you just think that you're possibly protecting other other people, you know, so it, it feels like the right thing to do always. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to talk about coronavirus without insulting someone, really. But uh, Yeah, <laughs> or uh, most things. End, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, there are many things to be said about it, but I think if there is a danger that your actions can harm somebody else, then you need to take account for your actions. And, and that's where yeah. I stand on mask wearing basically yeah same here same yeah yeah same yeah you know what i mean so uh so yes to anybody who's wondering why we've uh, come back and gone away it's because uh ben had to go and sign some uh, vinyl with the with the love with the loveless right that's that's yeah that's the band yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, and i then i in the course of my podcast ask people to perform a song and i asked ben about playing something on the bass and you bravely stood up and went there and recorded a song and i think you said it's the first time you've done that and put yourself out there because of this moment and uh i thought it was so wrong not to discuss that and uh and and then you sent me the song and i love it man it's really really nice like there are many parts of it that make me go this is really cool but obviously i love the sound of the bass and stuff but then there's this sort of vulnerability of your voice singing over the top of it and there's a really strong melody you know it's really cool how do you feel about it um, I've been meaning to do something like this for ages, and um, I guess it, it it's really interesting because my first reaction when you said, "Oh, people normally play a song," uh, was, "Oh God, what am I going to do?" <laughs> and <Yeah>. um, <laughs> and then I just thought, oh, well, instead of being um, sort of feeling sort of threatened or, or or feeling insecure about just record a song like you've been meaning to do it for ages and it's also um so thank you for asking me to do that because i don't think i would ever have done it oh well i probably would have got around to do it eventually but probably in like 10 years time so it, it's really amazing <laughs> that you asked um asked me to do that and also it's uh, it's an amazing testament to what a deadline can do to your creativity <laughs> because that oh, um yeah. particular li- little sort of bass riff thing has been knocking about my head probably for four or five years and i always had that vocal melody in mind to put on it and and um and it was just kind of like oh yeah that sounds quite whatever i would play it to myself and sing it and hum it in my head i would kind of think oh that sounds quite cool but i never got around to writing another part or actually finishing it so it's been the motivation of your podcast that's made me do that so thank you so much i mean whether it's any good or not is definitely up for debate and i um i don't i i actually finished it like 
five minutes before 11 this morning. Like, was when I, I, <laughs> I started on it last night, and I think I did about including trying to get it into a shape of a song, about 10 takes of it. And then I got to that point last night where I realised I was getting tired and every take was getting a bit worse rather than getting better. And then I just got up this morning and did sort of a few to like found the right one. I mean, I still don't know if it's the one. You know, like you get one and you know it. It's the one. Mm. And and the vocals are a bit out of tune. And like, I, I'm not a singer, you know, so it's the first time I've done that. But it felt it feels really good to sort of just... You know, like my good friend Sharon Kovac said, just fuck it. <laughs> just do what you want, you know. So it felt really you, good you, to, to yeah. do that. You, you've yeah. now moved up a step on the ladder. I mean, you know, it's like it's like um, sometimes you just need to take the first step and it's the first of right. many, you know. Yeah. And uh, yeah. you've 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 made yourself vulnerable and realized that the earth didn't swallow you up. And I think that's a really strong lesson in life. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, that's like, that's exactly how it feels. It's, it's funny because as a musician, I mean, maybe as a guitarist, you or like when we played before for Tristan Mackay, you're familiar with that role of being the supporting musician. But and certainly as a bass player, you always feel like that is your role. So to actually be forced into the position where you're singing is feels I mean I sing backing vocals for people all the time and I really enjoy doing it but to actually yeah. be the main focus on a piece of music kind of makes me want to run and hide somewhere <laughs> that's my natural sort of reaction so it's kind of funny a, a, a funny sort of place to be really with it but it's nice I mean it, yeah you're absolutely right it's that you just need to jump into the water and it's pretty cold in the beginning but then you're kind of like it's fine <laughs> you know yeah man yeah. I mean like babies who are born in a, a sort of water birth environment actually do swim naturally you know so this is your water yeah. birth moment man you're you're yeah. what what, <laughs> yeah. what what yeah. what's the story with the lyrics you're talking about you've never seen the sea was that where does that come from um i i sort of thought about i don't know when i connected it to writing it about that song but i, I think i was having a conversation with my mum actually about um i think she mentioned something about uh, there maybe I, I was talking about being on tour in america and she, mm. I remember years ago her saying something about, oh, there's probably people that grew up, it's such a big country, that there's people that grew up in the middle of America and they've never actually seen the sea. And that, mm. that I had a bit of a sort of, oh, wow, that's a really mad thought. Because I, I was talking about um, when you go and tour in America, the one thing as someone coming from somewhere like Britain or Ireland that's really overwhelming is the distances between the, mm -hmm. the places and and what a vast country it is and just the idea because when you come from somewhere like here you the sea's never more than a few hours away you, you, you know that mm -hmm. i don't think there's anyone in britain who will have never have seen the sea but there are people all over the world who probably live thousands of miles away from it and i just found the idea of someone never having seen it quite an interesting idea and and it sounded like a kind of cool thing to sing about and and that was it really and i only like before i started it's not like i've written a any great amount of lyrics i think i wrote two other lines or something or three other lines but the, uh, i only had that one line i've never seen the sea before and it seemed to go quite well with that quite sort of like drifty kind of shoegazy sort of yeah. melodic line on a bass and and then the, the other things were just stuff that i kind of uh, that you know that i added because i had to but it's probably a good way to write <laughs> that to a deadline do you ever do you fight do you do that to yourself in your songwriting do you give yourself a deadline I can talk about that, and I do talk about that quite a lot. In that, um, I uh, when I'm when my publisher gives me a brief, I'll finish a fully produced track in three days. But 
um, over yeah. the past year. I found it so hard to come and finish anything. So a deadline does force you to finish something. I yeah. personally, the song's all right. Personally, it's like carving a piece of stone and then waiting for the weather to take a bit more off and then getting back to it and, and, and waiting for the yeah. song to tell me what it's trying to tell me. So I do work both ways. Um, but deadlines will force you to act, you know, and, and you'll find more often than not that you'll come up with something that suits the job. Yeah, I think that's an interesting way of putting it that you you will get it to a point where it's kind of fit to say what you're trying to say, but it's maybe not the finished article. Like talking about getting a bit of weather is a good way of putting it, I think. To talk yeah, about it, so yeah. So now you've, now you've, I mean, this concept of people never seeing the sea, I did have this thing that some kids in inner city London have never been to the sea, you know, and I thought that was brutal yeah. to think of that because it isn't far away. But yeah. um, without commune with the sea, you're missing a huge part of psychological discharge you know and we enjoy that and i think this nation is quite balanced because of it and maybe america isn't so balanced because it has a lack of that discharge but in in terms of the lyric that you've written there and the way it fits the melody and stuff it's a very introspective but also quite a meditative thought to have so now your process may well be where well, you're going to have this going around your head and that'll be like a sort of like a thing going around in your mind uncovering other things that you wish to say in the context of that three minute song interesting yeah i mean I, yeah i don't know i i think i i've no idea where i'll go with any of this apart frozen. from the thought that i'm not that i've done it it's I like i'm you. not I scared to face. sort of Hello? sing and write things and express them it doesn't feel as daunting which is su such a positive uh positive yeah. thing to be but yeah it's interesting to sort of think of that kind of creative process i guess because i just never ever have but the oh that was the other thing i sort of wanted to say about what kind of has been i guess not holding me back but sort of stopping me from expressing anything like this before has been when i look at the the artists that i support and the depth of their um ability and the the beauty and the amazingness of the things that they write and the way they express themselves with their voices it's quite daunting to have <laughs> to be comparing yourself to someone like Anna Calvi or Iggy Pop or Mark Hammond who are absolute masters at this kind of thing you know and and I think that the main thing I've felt really is I, I, that I can say what I want to say a lot clearer and more concisely by playing the bass than I ever really have thought that I would be able to with my voice. And and I don't really particularly think I have a whole load to say, but it's nice to feel like there's a little space for it somewhere. Mm. You know? And everyone should do that, really. You know, it's nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's something I've tried to get across is that everybody has creativity within them, you know, and I think the more you do it, the more you find you do have stuff to say. Um, and it's it's an interesting yeah. process of self-discovery and self-uncovery. Music for me is, um, I don't know, I've needed it at times in my life and it's a wonderful burden to be a songwriter. It's just something you can't live with or live without, you know, you're stuck. Um, but I found yeah. myself recently that it's, um, it's put me back in touch with who I was uh, over the mass over the many years I've been writing songs because right. I needed to I'm back in touch with that so I feel I'm I'm back in the groove with my my own th things you know through this through watching you do your thing yeah. I'm less afraid now because you've done that you know it's quite inspiring yeah it's funny that I yeah I guess it's um it's a bit of a sort of like student teacher relationship because you've been writing songs for years mm. that's kind of a first I mean that's definitely the first time I've ever sung on anything <laughs> uh, and it's kind of a first for me but I, I I have a similar thing when I um when I'm teaching 
bass to, to, to people. I have one student in particular who's in this really great band and she's a really phenomenal player. But obviously some things she wants to ask my advice about and, and but most of the time she's right, you know, her instinct is right about what she does. But I find that really inspiring and I learn from from listening to what she's telling me about her experiences of playing and it's great mm. it's really 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 great it's really invigorating that sort of learning what do you mind me asking what you wrote your can you remember writing your first song and how that felt for you um well the first thing i ever wrote was when i was 15 and i was it was an instrumental song called red wine and i remember writing that um, right. Uh, but uh, right, right. the first song with lyrics. Oh man! I mean, I was in the heavy metal days, so we had a song called "Motherfucker Die." The <laughs> lyrics for that, I mean, if I say yeah. them, they were like, "What was it? Rip off your head, shit down your neck, fuck up your life, and kill your fucking wife." <laughs> Blist- <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Blisteringly yeah. bad lyrics, my friend. You know. Um, Oh, oh, blisteringly amazing! We, we didn't get we didn't, quite, we, we didn't quite get the following we hoped to get in a very religious town in Ireland. So I don't know what happened there. But anyway, it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't daytime radio? It wasn't a daytime radio. Hit. There was no hour of the day that that was suitable in Ireland. I tell you, man. Yeah, but, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I, I, I you know, oh, that's, there that's, came a time when really made me smile, uh, there came a time when my dad died. That that he died when I was like twenty four, and, and that was the point when I had to write right. songs, and, and I was compelled. I needed the words to figure got myself you. out and that's when i became a songwriter got you yeah. got you that's yeah that that oh god that heavy metal song's really tickled me that has, that's <laughs> really yeah uh, it's really something motherfucker yeah. die yeah but yeah i i, I suppose it, i suppose it is a can be a cathartic but quite a lot of the great songwriters that i have worked with always say uh or the best songs i wrote were when i were about like the the girl i couldn't get or the 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 person that broke my heart or the Mm. you know and those big sort of emotional things when they come out in a song i suppose uh, speak a sort of universal language Mm. a a bit like when you read something that a, a really amazing writer has written they managed to say what everyone is thinking but in a much more beautiful and succinct way and i suppose songwriting for some people is is that really weirdly in terms of musical appreciation and songs that i like i probably if i'm totally honest about it the words are the last thing i listen to i'm much more interested in the relationship that other instruments have and and i occasionally I've had moments with artists in the studio when when I've been singing a backing vocal and I've maybe been singing it for months and I've been singing the wrong lyric because <laughs> I've never I've never known what it really what was meant to be you know right. and I I suppose it, that because I do really love writing and I and I'm quite a wordy person like I love semantics mm. and I'm interested in that but in terms of music the the words what people are actually saying I know for a lot of people it's the first thing they hear you know like what Dylan said in this particular song or that but it's never really been a big thing for me I'm more interested in the sound of the voice or the emotion of the voice than the actual words but maybe that'll change now I don't know I don't maybe you've unleashed a, a terrible beast be, like, be, <laughs> be, be careful here man because you're talking about taming down your bass playing and singing some heartfelt lyrics that doesn't uh I'm sure it's dangerous, yeah. Or I might just be like, I'll be that guy that's at every open mic night in London for the next six months. Going, hey, it's my time. <laughs> Jesus, man, you could be, you know. It's a, it's a. You have to yeah. throw a fire bomb on the party. That's very important. Man. Yeah, yeah. See, what, see what sticks. The, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, for myself, yeah. I think. Uh, I, I, I actually sent you the video of the song I did the other day in the loop pedals, and I, I'm going into a church ah. on Friday. 
to uh, right. test it out as a venue and record it. And there were some lyrics in there that are quite church related. So I'm feeling a little bit like, Jesus, is this going to go down well? And I don't care. <laughs> it has. Yeah, I think well, the context will you... be nice to perform in. You know what I mean? So yeah, those church spaces are really beautiful when it comes to that sort of natural reverb. Mm. I mean, they're really amazing spaces to perform in. Absolutely. I guess it's funny as well when you think about like singing a song with r religious connotations in the lyrics in a church. I suppose things mean different things in different spaces and in different contexts yeah. as well, which yeah, is yeah. something... We will see. We will see. I mean, there's not going to be anybody yeah. there but me, my partner and my son. So our bubble. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, what I'm doing is I'm going to have the headphones on. I'm going to have Ableton Live running and sending the loops through the headphones, but not into the room. And then just the voice and the guitar will be captured in the fine ambience of the church. And I think it'd be nice to mix it God, back yeah. together again. I'm sure, yeah, mm. that's going to sound pretty cool, man. That's going to sound great. Yeah. Yeah, man. Right. Well, yeah. listen, it's been brilliant to catch up with you again, man. I really appreciate you, you coming too. on and talking about the you process. Too. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're uh, off to Scotland for a bit, you say? Yeah, I, I'm going to go and uh, see my mum for a few days and, and see how she's doing. She's, uh, yeah. So, so I'll be up there till the weekend, I think. But, but yeah. Listen, thank you so much Pleasure, for giving man. me the chance to sort of air this <laughs> outpouring uh, and, um, and and giving me the chance to talk about it. It's been such a brilliant experience. Thank you, Steve. My pleasure, man. If you ever want to send me the It in development as well, man, please do. I'd love to hear more. Yeah, I will do. Absolutely. Lots of love, man. Hey, good luck in the church. Thanks. I'd love to hear that too. And I'll have a listen to the thing that you sent. Dude, I let me know what you think of it, tonight. man. My maelstrom. Absolutely. My maelstrom on a teacup, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Brilliant. All right, Ben, yeah. buddy. I'll chat to you soon, man. Yeah, and here's to many more beautiful maelstroms. Absolutely, mate. <laughs> Take Good care. Bye-bye. Cheers. Bye. Hey, there we go. Wrapping up what's been a very entertaining Tapping the Flow episode, uh, full of some wonderful advice, some lovely tales, and uh, with a real rock and roll superstar man himself, Ben Ellis, who has been so generous with his time and luck. He went there for the song. He went there. He tapped into it, and he, he accepted the challenge and rose magnificently to meet it. Ben is a creative practitioner, but he's always put himself down in, in terms of doing songs and stuff like that, and he did it. So I hope that this inspires you to do it as well. I really think that you know you can all you can all just throw words at canvas and just sing them, shout them out, scream them out, and just get your creativity flowing. It's all there for us to access. So go check out some of the music. Go check out the Loveless. I know you know who Iggy Pop is and stuff like that. I know you know Mark Almond. Check out Anna Calvi. Go say hello to Ben. He's on Facebook and all that. He's a really nice guy. And uh, thanks again for tapping the flow. I will uh, look forward to speaking to you next week. Cheers. Bye.